0: All right, welcome to episode 48 of Seize the Moment podcast. And today, this guest needs no introduction, but I'm gonna do it anyway. We got (laughs) Muta Biali, uh, also known as Napoleon, former member of Tupac's rap group, The Outlaws. Muta, since converted to Islam, and is now a motivational speaker. Today, we're gonna be talking to him about his upcoming book, Life is Raw, the story of a reformed outlaw.
1: Hey Hey, Muta. What's going on, man? Thanks so much for coming on, man. Good to see you guys again. Good to see you too, too. too, man. Yeah, man. And so just to kind of give our guests a background. So lately we've been doing the How to Live a Good Life series where we've had a bunch of philosophers on, giving their various Mm -hmm. perspectives of what it means to live a good life, right? And how a person can live well. So we wanted to continue this this series with Napoleon today, and we wanted to talk to him about what it means to live a good life according to Islam. So my first question is going to be, Mu, it's going to be, what does it mean to live a good life according to Islam, right? And then also, can you tell us about your background and how you've come to accept the faith?
2: For sure, man. Um, my last name is Bill, by the way. A lot of people mess <laughs> messing up. I, I heard you guys screw that up. <laughs> oh, my bad. What's up, it's Bill? It's all good, man. Si- a silent yeah. E at the end.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> nah, but um, you know, for me, um, a lot of people don't know that my, actually my mother father converted to Islam before I was born. You know, they was following, um, they was big followers of Malcolm X. So when Malcolm X made his um, transition from the Nation of Islam to Orthodox Islam, my parents also followed suit you know, Uh, but when I was three years old, as I mentioned, maybe in the last podcast interview, but in multiple interviews, I always let it be known when I was three years old, my parents got killed in front of me. My grandparents used to tell me that it was Muslims that murdered my mother and father. So I actually grew up, man, with like a lot of Americans or Westerners where I didn't have proper understanding of Islam from an ignorant standpoint of view. I blame the whole religion based on what some people did to my parents, you know what I mean, which is wrong. Unfortunately, we have a lot of that now on the media, you know, you have over 1.4, 1.5 billion Muslims, maybe a percentage low as 0.000.1% are the ones who do these acts of terrorism. But unfortunately, they blame the whole religion for these minority, super minority people amongst the religion, you know what I mean? So, so I grew up doing the same thing, you know what I mean? I blame the Muslims for the death of my parents. So I, I didn't want nothing to do around Muslims. I didn't want nothing to do with the religion of Islam. But um, as years went on, and my my myself, um, the more that I became, what you would say, famous in the music industry, the more depressed and unhappy I became. The more things that I started to um, started to gather, um, and um, you know what I mean, make in the the dunya, the worldly life. The more the more success that I started to to. Um, Endure the more pain that I started to endure. You know what I mean. The more things that I started to get, you know, from the music industry as far as houses and cars, even fame, the more depressed I became. You know what I mean. So I was searching. I was searching. I was. I got to the point in my life that a lot of people don't know that man. It was to the point where I, I didn't even want to live anymore because I said, "Look, man, I done everything. You know, I, I've been on records. I sold millions of records. I toured around the world. I did it with the best." I experienced pretty much all the crazy things the, the, I, I experienced the highs the lows of life. And I was like, you know what, what else, what else is left for me? I yeah. thought that I would never obtain any type of happiness, you know? So when to, to make a long story short, because you guys got to also read it in my book, you know, I was in a recording studio one day, but this story is known. I mentioned this story many times when I got to a fight with my little brother and it was a Muslim American Muslim brother who broke the fight up brother Macau. And he invited me to the masjid, and eventually I accepted his invitation. And when I went to the Mars, I was able to see that these people were, you know, Arabs, blacks, whites, Americans, Asian, everybody inside of one place of worship. You know, growing up, I used to go to church with my grandparents, especially my grandmother, and I didn't really see that. You know, if I go to the church, it was only black people in church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you go on this side of the town, there's only white people or Asian people. But in the mosque, when I went, I seen people from all walks of life, different race. And uh, I got very intrigued by just the way their brotherhood was. And I wanted to know more about the religion. So when I actually started reading um, the Quran, which was in the English translation that I have, that I had, that the brother gave to me, I started to read in names that my grandmother taught me growing up, you know, like Adam and Moses and Abraham and uh, Yusuf, which is, um, Yusuf is, uh, what is it, Joseph. Mm-hmm. And these names that I'm sure your faith, you guys are Jewish and your faith is, you have these names as well as prophets. Mm-hmm. So when I started reading these names, I started realizing that these are also prophets that my grandmother taught me about. When I came to the Prophet Muhammad, who in the religion of Islam, we we say is the last final messenger and prophet, his message was similar to these other prophets. And I was like, you know what, man, I think I need this in my life. I started to read about so much things in the religion of Islam that I knew would bring me my discipline, and it would allow me to have a relationship with God, and it allowed me to be able to straighten myself up. Alhamdulillah.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, actually, because imagine you walk in in somewhere, you see people from all races, all creeds, all worshiping, you know, the same deity. And it's like, there's, and and you see how peaceful they are. And it's not like what they put out in the media, right? And and you see there's like a discipline associated with it. And this kind of, this brotherhood where it's even, everyone calls each other brother. You know what, I'm actually going to take this off (laughs)
2: because... (laughs) <laughs> too distracting. To yeah, yeah.
0: but yeah like my best friend he's uh he's a muslim right and we know each other over 20 years and
2: wow
0: even even in 2001 uh with the 9-11 um yes. there was a lot of people who were being really against muslims at that time uh, every time we'd be hanging out people would be messing with us like and, and stuff wow. like that and he, he went through that you know but Every day I was with him I would hang out I would see that he's praying five times a day. I would see how his yeah. family does things together how it's yeah. it's really nice it's it's peaceful there's like a discipline to it he be, he, he became this kind yes. of person from from this discipline that I don't think without praying five times a day that that he would yes. have
2: had yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, even like the Prophet Muhammad said, for example, if a person have a river flowing through his backyard and he bathed in that river five times a day, would there be any dirt remaining on him? So the prayer for us is just to keep us intact, to keep us with that, that, that direct relationship five times a day, minimum five times a day that line with between us and god you know and it's directly between us and god we don't have no middleman and like that so for me it gave me discipline it it changed my life um it it made me more of a positive person i would think so
1: (laughs) and so since you mentioned that what would you say is like the
2: fundamental difference between your life now and your life before islam man my life now is and and before islam i definitely would say it was like um night and day honestly you know what i mean before islam I really was a nutcase, man. I really was like burnt out, as they say, burnt yeah. out, man. I really burnt out, you know what I mean? I didn't really care about life or death. I didn't really care about others really too much, unless it was my immediate crew or immediate family members. I wasn't a bully type of person where I just go around and bother people, but it, it, I, was on a, um, um, I was just on a path that, it definitely was destructive, you know what I mean? Eventually, I was gonna end up either murdering somebody, hurting somebody, or that was gonna happen to me, or I was gonna be in a prison for the rest of my life. That was the path that I was going down. So Islam, it gave me, it just took me, it just gave me life again, you know what I mean? I felt like when I accepted the religion of Islam, I literally felt like I was born again, you know what I mean? I had purpose in life, now I know my purpose in life. Before that, I didn't know the purpose of life. I thought that I was created to party, get drunk, smoke, drink, fight, Um, live like an animal, you know what I mean? That's that's how I was living my life, yeah. So it gave you a sense of meaning, exactly, definitely. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it seems like before it was more of a like about selfish pursuits, like things that would just benefit you, but then with Islam, it's also helping not just you but also the community,
2: exactly, man. So it's a it's a and not just the community, the community, yes, like Muslim and non Muslim community, you know what I mean? That's a lot of things that most people don't know about the religion of islam so you got these people that they like they will read a passage that i can that we can do with any religious books you know what i mean we can read a passage and then try to define the whole religion off of that that's what they do unjustly with islam but islam for example there's a verse in the quran where allah says whoever saved the life of one person and and actually allah said that he sent this verse to Bani Israel, which means the children of Israel. He said that we had legislated to the children of Israel that whoever takes a life unjustly is as if they took the whole of mankind. and Whoever saves a life oh, wow. is as if they saved the life of the whole of mankind. So this is something that Islam teaches us to this day. It doesn't, but unfortunately the people would take one verse of the Quran it say fight a verse about jihad or about fighting, which is also in Quran, you know what I mean? We can't take that from it. But when you look at these verses, for example, they take it out of context. They don't show the verse before that or the verse after that, where the first verse of fighting that was revealed in Islam was, was when the Prophet Muhammad, after the Prophet Muhammad got chased out of Mecca yeah. by his own family, by his own tribe, they chased him out of Mecca. I think maybe three to four years later or even later than that, I forgot how many times, um, how many years the exact time... Exactly. But years after that, God revealed the verse that now you may fight back. You may fight these people who chase you at your home. You know what I mean? And you fight them wherever you see them. And then the verse after that, it says, unless they refrain from fighting you, then you also stop. God doesn't like those who are the aggressive. But the people don't show that verse. You know what I mean? They just show the verse where they say fight them and slay them wherever you see them. Yeah. But they don't show before that. They killed the Prophet Muhammad's relatives. They killed many Muslims. And now he got the verse to fight back, which is natural instincts for anyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? If someone come to anyone house and somebody come to harm, is naturally we're going to defend ourselves. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. So that's it. See, I never heard that perspective before. That's 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 great because yeah, the media or a lot of people they take things out of context and they don't they don't give a, a nuanced perspective. Like they don't explain fully sure. what what what's meant actually by the by the religion. Mm-hmm. And then For sure. For sure. Yeah, and then people get that message get the message wrong, and then uh, it confuses so many different people about what's the real message of islam and even other religions too and kind it of fuels
1: hate i mean that's like the worst part it about is it true. is that yeah and i mean people kind of
2: look at exactly. the you know, and they kind of pick out little verses and sort of say okay we should hate these people because of this exactly and that's what you see you know what i mean that's what you see that's happening nowadays that unfortunately we just got to educate then you also have these muslims for example you also have ignorant muslims who don't know the religion of islam who would take that verse and think that it means, okay, now we can go kill innocent people. You know what I mean? And so you have these people, and these people, when you look at them, they appear to be like religious, they have these, they look religious, but they're actually so ignorant of the religion. You know, Because in Islam, we have two revelations, the Quran and the Sunnah. Mm -hmm. So we have revelations where the Sunnah is what explain the verses of Quran. And there's nothing in Quran, there's nothing in the Sunnah that allow a Muslim to kill an innocent soul, nothing. Mm -hmm. Nobody, no matter how much these cycles these try to say it, they have no, nothing to stand on in Islam to back them with these actions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you find fanatics everywhere, every religion. You have the KKK that was hanging black people and burning yeah. crosses behind them. You know what I mean, unfortunately. and you know and that
1: actually reminds me of that kind of um it was obviously a scene in the film x but then it's also from his autobiography that part of malcolm x's life when he actually ended up traveling to mecca and he came back and he's like oh my god man he's like this is so crazy he's like they were just people from all sorts of races and backgrounds and he's like we were all just under one god we were literally praying and doing these things together and there was no division between any of us
2: exactly Mm -hmm. and that's what you see bro that's what you see out here you know what i mean yeah that's what you see man so i love it man so what, what i forgot to ask you guys where you guys from again what part y'all on the east oh. coast or the west
1: coast yeah, yeah east coast new, york, new york. york yeah brooklyn new york
2: man brooklyn wow yeah
1: man <laughs> where, where solomon's from so yeah i got
2: it yeah y'all gotta be yeah Suleiman. yeah, yeah. Suleiman is from in english is solomon adam ah. suleyman from brooklyn man yeah yeah, he, yeah you guys gonna interview him he told me
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we got him on may 3rd man so that's gonna be pretty dope and right? it's cool that we have the same backgrounds <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Brooklyn
2: in the house. I, yeah. <laughs> you guys be safe out there, man. It's a, it's a, the, the virus is spreading in New York, man. I just hope that people take this serious, you
1: yeah. know what I mean, and yeah. really,
2: really start being safe because it, it's no joke, man. Yeah. No, yeah, we're getting
0: hit the, the worst here, actually. I think uh, they said New York has the most cases out of any, even any country in the world.
2: I heard, yes, I heard. Yeah. You guys be safe out there, man. Be safe. Thank Put you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. Yeah, I took the mask off, but you know, for the interview, it's not so good. I guess I'll just
0: I'll do it after. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> We're working on doing uh, us in different spots too. For yeah, the, like uh, social for distancing
1: body. interviews, but I don't know. We'll see how that works. That's Actually, true. we could have done that. Yeah. So That's I mean, true. and then, That'd be dope, man. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then also, Muda. Obviously, man, you have a book coming out, right?
2: So can you tell us about yeah. that process? What's that been like, and how come you decided to write a book? Well, basically, man. It was Suleiman, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, I wrote a book. Some people might know that I didn't write a book. Well, I had someone that, that wrote a book about my life about five, six, maybe. No, no, no. About ten years ago. But he didn't really do justice to the book. It was something that I think he just, you know what I mean? It was no no feelings behind it. It was no genuine, you know, it was just like, okay, i pay you, you. He did his thing, and that was it. But one day... um someone commented on my Instagram page about my documentary and, and, and under uh, a post of my documentary, and they was like, look, man, we need a book about your life. So Suleiman hit me up, man. Suleiman, I've been friends for years. Mm-hmm. And he hit me up one day, he's like, look, you know I'm a writer, man, if you ever wanna, you know, I read that comment, so if you ever wanna do a book, I'm here. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, you know what I mean? He's my friend, <laughs> he's a homie, but I just thought, like a lot of people say they writers, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he started, I think he gave me some, he actually wrote a few, um, uh, a, a few um, things for Oxford University and mm-hmm. they don't really they accept they, they don't really accept that many uh, writers anything mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I think it's about a 10% um, accepting rate or something like that or maybe lower so he got it accepted three times for Oxford University maybe more I, yeah. I don't know the exact number so when he started showing me some of his work I was like wow this dude from Brooklyn he's from the hood mm-hmm. but on the academic level He's on a. Ho- I-, I didn't see. I haven't seen anything like that, especially from amongst my peers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. So when yeah. he started writing and he started showing me like the first couple um, things that he written, the first paragraphs, the first chapters, I was like, man, we onto something. Because the way he writ- written the book is in a style where um, I'm glad that he did it in this format. Because most rappers, or if you notice, any majority of the rappers, when they come from the music industry and they start doing their autobiographies or their biography. They try to always make it seem like um, it's always too gangster. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they always try to put emphasis how much of a street dude they was, even with the words "this mother f of this <laughs> f that." Like, be yeah. like, "Come on, man! We're reading a book. We're not reading a rap song. That's, we want to really, we yeah. want to know about how it really goes down." I'm sure you ain't behaving like this in front of your mother mm-hmm. and just cursing and stuff like that. So I'm, but the way he did it, it's a style that it doesn't matter if a person, a street individual, he had background in the hood or. He he grew up in the suburbs. He can be a preacher, an imam, Christian, Jew, Muslim. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Everyone would be able to relate relate to the way he written the book. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a style that even uh, even professors at universities would be able to teach from this book. That's how he did a great job. So it exceeded my expectations. And when I started reading it, I had to read it from a standpoint of view where I pulled myself away from me reading about my own life. I had to I had to read it as if you know what I mean? This is a story of, of an individual I don't even know. That's how I went into the book. You know what I mean? And I, I was blown away. Yeah. I think I, I'm, I'm happy that he, he came through. You know what I mean? And How come he thought it was so important to tell that story, your story? I think, um, you know what I mean? From a, you know, right now, in many ways, you know what I mean? Many, many, many avenues we think is important because my story, it can teach people. You know what I mean? There's, there's, And like Suleiman once said to me, he said, man, there's people that's going through worse than what you went through. He said, your life, like what you went through is like a roller coaster. He was shocked. He was stunned. He said, but we have to realize there are people that's going through even worse. Reading this book will give them hope. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Reading this book can give someone hope to say, look, wait a minute, man. He went through this. He did this, he did this at that young age. I pretty much have this similar story than him. And, and for those who don't have a similar story, then most people can relate to entertainment. You know what I mean? Majority of people would know the life of an entertainer or, or Tupac. So it touched on every avenue. You know, for yeah. me being 13, 14 years old selling drugs, yeah. you know what I mean? There's people that can relate to that who might not. Even if they cannot relate to it from a compassionate standpoint of view, they're going to be able to feel it and accept it. And they would be able to make themselves, for example, if there's a person who has children or themselves that wasn't on the block selling drugs at 13, 14 years old, maybe reading this story will make them look at their parents and be more grateful that they had these parents in their life, that they had the life that they had, that it wasn't too hard. So I think it can be lessons for and, and can be taken in so many different ways.
1: Yeah. And what's so dope about it for me, obviously, because I mean, you guys all know, right, I'm like a huge Pac fan, an Outlaws fan. So just kind of (laughs) all of you guys, right? So something that Pac said that related to me so much, not just kind of from him and from his music, but just from all of you guys, was when he said, I write for the kid who lives a thug life and feels like it's hopeless, that I don't put out the music there, you know, for the person who thinks it's like a fad, and he's going to sort of listen to it, he's going to bump his head to it, and then put it down and move on to something else. He's like, no, I'm writing it for the kid that's actually going to take it, absorb it, and it's going to stick with him. And I always felt that about your work and the outlaws work and Pac and that's why I felt
2: like your work is always so meaningful man. Appreciate that man. We, we thankful for people like y'all you know what I mean? Even like this, these platforms giving us an opportunity to continue to tell our stories. You know I'm not in the music industry but we need platforms like what you guys do on your podcast shows so that we can put the word out there you know what I mean? So we appreciate you guys Absolutely See man. Yeah. So and I might have you know I, I'm starting my podcast so I might get you guys to be my guests Oh, dope. oh, yes. oh yeah. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Last night, I actually interviewed Suleiman. Uh-huh. Um, tonight, I'm going to interview Baidu Jack. He's a boxer from Sweden, American He's Side with Floyd Mayweather. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to have you guys as my guests. <laughs> absolutely. That's
1: 100%. 100%. That'd be so dope. So, I mean, kind of go, um, going back to the book, what was it like, I guess, being as vulnerable as you were, kind of putting out that story in a way that maybe people might
2: have not heard before? I think man, for me, the the book was therapeutic. It was like therapy for me because I, I really was able to touch on stuff that I try to I, I try to keep hitting. You know what I mean? There was so many things that I, I tried my best to forget about it. But sometimes just, you know, facing it and explaining and speaking about it can help you get it off your chest. You know what I mean? I was like, man, I finally got these things off my chest. I finally got to tell my story, man. It was it it was man, it was emotional. I didn't I didn't expect that it would be I, I would be so emotional, you know, on an emotional roller coaster the way I was reading that book, especially when it got to the parts of like the death of Tupac, the death of Gaddafi, the death of my brother, my grandmother. So I was like, this, you know, happy. Yeah. And then, like, you know what I mean? So, and I was like, you know what? I'm glad that I was able to get that off my chest, yeah. finally. And even to tell my story about Gaddafi, for example, because when you look at the internet, most people only know the story that his mother is pushing Mm -hmm. in which I don't blame her. You know what I mean? Like you would never, no one can ever, even in my book, no one will ever hear me speaking bad about Yasmin. Um, no one will find anything on the internet of me speaking bad about that lady because she always been good to me. That's the mother of Gaddafi. He's a friend of mine. You know what I mean? She always been like an aunt. Of course, um, what happened to her son, no one, myself, I can't imagine what she's going through even now, 20 years later, that was an only child. Mm-hmm. But I was able to be able to tell my side that most don't know. So I was able to touch up on that in the book. Yeah. What was the hardest story for you to tell in that? I think, man, um, definitely the Qaddafi situation was a hard story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, also, when I got to the part, the the, the death of Pop, that yeah. was definitely my grandmother. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? My grandmother, because my grandmother death was the the first and the hardest death that I took as a, a young adult, you know what I mean, growing up as, you know, losing my parents, I don't really know them, I was three, four years old, okay. you know what I mean, as, as harsh as it sounds, but I wasn't, I couldn't be, I, w- I was attached, but to what, to a, a certain degree, you know what I mean, but my grandmother who raised me, that was the most difficult death for me to deal with, you know what I mean, and then after that pocket, then my brother Siki, so, you know, the book, I had to go into details. I had, because was questioning me like a journalist. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He was, he was like, okay, so um, he very calm and relaxed. And, you know what I mean? And he, and he, he just, like, okay, so, so, you know, when pot died, so, you know, where, where you was at? You know, like getting stuff out of me. Where I started like, man, now I got to figure, figure out where I was at and how I was feeling. But he <laughs> yeah. good job. <laughs> he was like you a know, therapist. A Bro, I felt like I was in a, der- a, a, der- a therapist session, man. Yeah. <laughs> a therapy session, for sure.
1: <laughs> Did you feel good like getting it off your chest and kind of putting it out into the world?
2: Definitely, definitely, bro. Like I said, it was therapy for me. I think I needed that. I think that book is not only going to be life lessons for others when they read it, but it was therapeutic for me. And it was therapy for me. And it was um, something that I definitely needed. It was almost like healing, honestly, because we got to understand that the black community, um, the black and maybe even the brown, uh, we don't really deal with emotions properly. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't really deal with emotions properly. Like for example, if I go, if I grew up the way I was raised, if I go home to my uncles and my grandmother and say, Um, you know, I, I, I you know, this is happening and I I feel like, you know, I got I'm sad because somebody said this to me, I'm dealing with they be like, Man, you better get your butt up out of here for you get a whoop and I'll whoop that sadness <laughs> out of you. That's how we was raised. Yeah. So we was raised where we had to endure whatever feelings we had and just rock roll with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, it's, it's a part of the book, I remember telling "My, um, for attention. I'm a young kid, so I wanted some attention. Whenever I wanted attention from my grandmother, I would go and start crying and say, I want my mother and father to come back, you know what I mean? And I remember one time my grandmother just like put me in my place which in a good way, like, well, they ain't coming back. You ain't going so like to do nothing So you all that crying ain't going to do nothing. You know what I mean? And I used to go to my grandfather and say, I want to kill myself <laughs> if I don't get sneakers. I remember yeah. one time my grandfather said, you want to kill yourself? He took like a hanger. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> he my God. Uh-huh. He said, go ahead and kill yourself. And that's the <laughs> like, best ther- therapy I ever had. i never said those words ever again. So that's how we dealt with emotions growing up in a black house. we can, we going to get, if we depressed or we sad, man, we're going to get it whooped out of us. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's the best way. That, of course, I don't agree with that. I, that's not how I'm gonna raise my kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my generation, that's how we dealt. With, we didn't have no outlet. That's why you have a lot of mental illness, and the book touches on that, and you guys touch upon that a lot on your podcast yeah. show. That's yeah. why we have a lot of mental mental illness in the black community, and we don't know how to deal with it because yeah. we didn't we didn't know that there was supposed to be avenues for these things. You know what I mean? We just thought our parents and grandparents thought they can just beat everything out of us. Yeah. <laughs> you depressed i right, this this belt want to make you more depressed if you don't get like <laughs> you know what i mean no yeah. but that's how, but some of the whoopings we deserved. I ain't, I ain't trying to say that sometimes kids don't deserve to get whooped but um that's how we dealt with emotional things in my household you know what i mean oh. no i hear you <laughs> uh
0: for me uh i got russian parents so especially russian, when I was- uh, man
2: so yeah. you get work with the stick, the shoes, everything. Yeah, like belts, <laughs> all that, you know. Yeah, so. we can only laugh you know, about it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can only not, laugh about it. But sometimes <laughs> to believe it believe it or not, I, I think it should be balanced. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't think that you should just say nobody the kids don't deserve to get spanked. Of course, it's, it's there for a reason. They even did study and said that kids that got spanked growing up they was more successful you know what uh-huh. i mean this is what some of the studies say so mm-hmm. i think it's have to be a balance sometimes you deserve to be disciplined you know what i mean yeah. and were your parents from your parents from russia also
1: yeah man so ukraine ukraine okay. yeah yeah
2: russia, yeah, ukraine, yeah yeah russia.
1: literally during the during the communist empire so yeah it was it was wow. a pretty yeah, I mean, like I, my mom was really great, so definitely like never had any sort of issues with
2: her. But I had a pretty harsh stepdad, so that was pretty rough. Yeah, dads is either the dad or the mom. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. more of a laid back dad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My yeah. kids be joking with me about that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, to to be able to talk through the book, it's like an evolution of yourself. Like uh, to be able to get all this stuff off your chest and yes. to be able to give that kind of message, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it's not even the traditional way to talk about. Your your life. It's actually a very unique way to be able to yeah. get that out there. Mm-hmm. And then also, sure. I, so I didn't say this before actually. Um, to the to the person who your story would inspire, you know, the, it would take them from a dark place, maybe somewhere else. That, that's interesting because a lot of people they might think that when they're in a like a dark kind of place that there's no way out. But when yeah, they see sure. that somebody else went through what they're going through, or maybe even something worse. Or, yes. or something similar, they then have more confidence to be like, okay, actually, maybe maybe if I really tried, I could move myself out of here, you know? Yeah. Or or step by step,
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And that's what we want, you know what I mean? I think the book, there's so many life lessons on different different um, levels that people can take from it. You know, even entrepreneurship. Like, now people can turn on the internet and to see that I, I'm connected to a coffee shop, I'm connected to a Smoke brisket, but they don't see what I went through for years, how many businesses that I tried that failed. Yeah. They don't see the time that I was sleeping on my fl- my brother's floor. I couldn't even buy diapers for my son when my son Muhammad was a young kid. You know what I mean? Couldn't even buy diapers when my older son Salik was coming to me, saying I need clothes for school. I didn't even have the money when I left the music industry. You know? So they don't see that I hit rock bottom and then had to slowly but surely clown myself back up. So the book, I, the people get to see, like, okay, now we see well, he's happy that he have his coffee shop and he's happy he had this because he worked so many years to get to that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, so, uh, so, you know, the foundation a lot of times of mental illness is a sense of shame. And I mean, I could say kind of from my own background, like I was always, especially when I was a kid, I was really ashamed of myself for being poor and kind of like, I mean, we didn't live, even though like I lived in the projects, they weren't that bad. So let me, I'm not going to say I like, yeah, yeah, so, but it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. No, not no. my, not my side of it, not my side of it. So not the worst thing in the world, but <laughs> like for me, it gave me kind of a deep sense of shame because like, you know, kind of you saw everybody else and you're like, damn man, like, you know, my family family doesn't have any of these things or most of these things and so kind of touching on your book man I just kind of wonder do you think like for you and bringing about your experiences right and maybe even kind of showing to some of the things that you were ashamed of and some of the things that made you feel bad about yourself do you feel like now it will make it kind of easier for others especially your readers to kind of take that and think to themselves like damn man if he could have went through that right if Moo could have had those experiences and if he could have overcome them and if he could see himself differently maybe I don't have to feel
2: so ashamed of myself. For sure. We were, and that's why the book, I was, we were so honest. Yep. You know what I mean? We were so honest. where It wasn't no shame for me to say, man, yeah, I was sleeping on the floor. You know, I used to have to pick up the pillows and look for change and coins under the couch. And my brother house just to buy diapers for my son. You know what I mean? And this is after I left the music industry. You know what I mean? So I, I want people not to be ashamed of that. You know what I mean? Don't be ashamed. You know, that's life. You have ups and downs. You know what I mean? Everybody's not born with a silver spoon in their mouth, you know, majority of the, that's why I respect a person who, who's a self-made entrepreneur, not an entrepreneur who their daddy left them a million dollars or they started off with that. No, I like to see people that, that made it from the bottom up, like a Jay-Z, for example. I respect his business, Tactics, you know what I mean, because he came from Brooklyn, Marcy Projects. I'm sure you guys know what Marcy Projects is about. Yeah, I 25. used to work. I used to work a couple blocks away. Yeah. See? So you see, so these type of people, and 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 these type of stories is positive positivity. It's positive feedback. I mean, you get a lot of positive feedback from these stories when you put po- when they post these stories online. Unfortunately. Of course, we all have our wrongdoings and we made our mistakes, but if you look at a person like Jay-Z, you will find a minority of people that said negative stuff about him. I might not agree with everything he does. Or, you know, we might not agree, but from a standpoint of view, as a businessman, the way he took himself from the Marcy Projects and the way he developed himself as a business person, not even as an artist, you know what I mean? I respect, you know, as an artist, people say what they got to say about him regardless, but as a business person, we haven't seen too many people that we can say our peers come out and do what he done, you know what I mean? Even Dre, you know what I mean? Dre, Dre a person that came from Compton, came out with them headphones, you know what I mean? Came out with other business things and he's almost a billionaire, you know? These are people I respect that it can let you know, like, look man, these people came from the bottom, the real bottom, you know what I mean? And they made it and they did it in a majority of a way that's um, legal pretty much, you know what I mean? For sure.
1: And what's so dope about a lot of their stories is that they had these really great support networks too, like with you guys, right? Um, from, like, you know, It seems like the Outlaws and obviously Pac, all you guys kind of held each other up. And so my question, I guess, would be in your kind of life, right? Who do you feel like which, sort of, which people were the most sort of foundational, which people were the most helpful in your kind of
2: success and the most supportive when you needed the most? When I needed the most, man, I definitely would say, um, you know what I mean? I'm thankful to have a grandmother that raised me the way she did. Yeah. You know, Pac, um, hands down, you know what I mean? He didn't He didn't even have to, you know what I mean? When Pac first put me on the team, it was before he even heard my demo. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he could have said, he didn't even know if I can rap or not. He could have just left me in the hood, you know what I mean? So he gave me an opportunity to really, In my family, you know what I mean? My family, my wife, my kids. These are people that been there for me when I didn't have anything that saw me go from the top to the bottom, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And these are people that got to give respect to them, definitely.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's like, I think that's so undervalued, like the support system and the support network that we kind of have. So sometimes people kind of view it as like, um, and definitely there's something to be said for a person who kind of picks themselves up and is self-made to some extent. But I think it's also really important to kind of focus on the community. Like even the community that the three of us have here, right? I think without the three of us, right, the show would never happen. So in some way, we're like supporting one another, kind of helping to bring this thing to life.
2: Because we, everyone needs, you know what I mean? We need each other. You know yeah. what I mean? No one, nobody, nowhere done anything on his own by himself, except for God, the creator. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody else needs some support. Everybody else going to need people even to move forward. Every businessman has someone that taught him. Every, every basketball player has someone that taught him how to shoot a hoop. Yep. And that, that's how it works. Your podcast show, you, you have to interview people. Those people you interview might have something that they're trying to sell or a message they're trying to get across. So nowadays, the community becomes smaller because of social media. You know what I mean? That everybody, one way or another, need each other for something. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. what happened right now with this coronavirus thing. It may it, it, it's something that let the rich. It, it usually when these viruses come, it usually attack poor countries and poor neighborhoods. Yeah. But this is something that hit ministers everybody. and ministers, ministries and presidents and kings and, and princesses and you know what I mean. This is something that now everybody everybody feel like we in it together. Yeah. They nowadays people money is not gonna. They don't feel they because they have a certain amount of millions in their bank account, that's not gonna save them now. Now, hopefully, people can reflect on life and say, you know what, God, something is in, in, in control here. I'm not in control right now. A person can have $100 million in his bank account, go outside, catch the virus, and his money can't save his life, you know what I mean? So these times, it, it should make people be less selfish, you know what I mean, and reflect, and know that everybody in it with each other right now, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I like that, yeah. No, we, we all have the same enemy. It, it's one of the few times that everybody in the world was on the same team, yeah. you know? I, I, there's <laughs> something to that, uh-huh. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like wrong, Malcolm, wrong, Malcolm X and Mecca. Yeah, yeah, bro. <laughs> 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 yeah, and did you know, man, that like, unf- I don't know how this even happened or why this happened, but in the U.S., for whatever reason, coronavirus deaths, like, they disproportionately affect black people, like,
2: in a really significant way. I just read about that today, unfortunately. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I, I, I don't know why. I, I really don't know why. I think I don't know if it's a lack of health care, lack of um, yeah. um you know what I mean, awareness in our communities. Um, because it seemed like it seemed like a lot of people, especially back home, they didn't take it serious. When Saudi Arabia, for example, was shutting the whole country down, people in America were still on the beach and I was like, Man, one of yeah. us got it wrong. Either Saudi got it wrong and America have it right, or vice <laughs> versa. And come to find out Saudi um, China, um, these other countries is locking down their countries. UAE, and while America which is giving too people too much freedom is not good. You yeah. know what I mean? It, it comes a time when people have to, you know what I mean? Give out fines, get tickets out. Like for right now, I have a curfew. I go outside right now, the police come. where they giving me a three thousand dollar ticket? Damn. Next, uh, yeah, three thousand dollars. The next one, they put me in jail. Wow. Like, that's damn. And, and, and there's no talking your way out of it. <laughs> yeah, wow, so,
0: damn. So yeah. I don't know,
2: it's sad that it's affecting, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, the, the African-American community, they always get the hard, hit the hardest whenever there's a wave of anything that comes in the states, you know what I mean? And maybe it's a lack of awareness, um, health facilities, people being tested, um, people afraid, they might not feel like they don't have proper health insurance, so they might feel a cough coming on or a flu coming on and they're like, you know what, I don't have the money, I gotta pay bills. It could be poverty. It can be so many different reasons. And it's sad because America, that boasts to be the big, the strongest country in the world, the richest country in the world, people shouldn't have to be worrying about health insurance. You know what I mean? It's it's sad. It's embarrassing, to be honest. Yeah.
1: And if I had to kind of, I guess, put my two cents on that, what I think is happening is that a lot of people in obviously impoverished neighborhoods are uninsured, so they don't want to get like racked up with medical bills. And then the other things are that there aren't that many great hospitals or any hospitals and sort of in in the projects, right? Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: true. And And even like you said, they don't want to be racked up with the bills like a place like Saudi Arabia, I think um, the rest of the world. You know, if there was some negative news coming out of it, it would have been all over the world. But now mm-hmm. that they're doing something positive, it doesn't matter if you're in Saudi Arabia. You seen you've, you guys probably seen some of the videos I put up. I'm talking about uh, Americans, British, Belgium, mm-hmm. people from all over that's not even Muslims. But they like, man, I, I was surprised the way Saudi Arabia, because if anybody go to the hospital, a royal decree from the king son man, is that everybody must be treated free of charge. Yeah. yeah. You can't ask them how much, was your insurance? No, if they come in sick, you have to treat them. The government of mm-hmm. Saudi's paying for everything. So that's a good thing, you know what I mean? They deliver, I can call a pharmacy right now and say, man, I need Tylenol. They have to deliver me. Yeah. you know what I mean? And no, and no one's <laughs> asking, how are y'all gonna pay for it? Yeah, 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 right. yeah. You know, we gotta pay for the Tylenol, dog. <laughs> 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 fee, <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. No,
0: but see, the, the Saudi king, that, that's that's one of the best things. Nobody's doing that. that he, that's, that's just for sure. a real example for, for how to deal with something yeah. like this and yeah. how to take care of your people,
2: you know? Most yeah, they really stepped it up. They really step it up. For example, um, any all Saudis that's in work or all the employees, especially Saudis, it's their country, they pay the 70%, 60% of everyone's salaries. Um, nobody's, like, for example, business owners are saying you don't have to pay the rent these months. Um, wow. Homes are saying you don't have to pay the rent. It's a, everybody's supportive. That's why I'm sitting here, like, chilling. Like, man, my coffee shop closed. But the, the owner, he's very, he's very, you know, generous. He's like, look, don't worry about paying the rent. for You, wanna, you don't want to pay for six months. You don't have to pay for six months. He's like, yeah. even longer. You know what i mean so this is the support that the people are giving out here which is good you know, wow it's yeah, really dope and it's sad it's sad when i see people back home on the line crying and i seen a video where they was giving out parking tickets oh. and somebody's like you mean to tell me you guys are going to really walk around in philadelphia i believe just giving out parking tickets okay. it's a time that people need to be a little more concerned and a little more compassionate right now you yeah. know what i mean It's important. Yeah. I mean, we get
1: that sometimes. Like, there are some like healthcare practitioners where they're like doctors or therapists where they're like offering like free therapy. They're offering like free sessions. They won't even like charge mm-hmm. your insurance. Yeah, and they won't like give. Yeah, so they won't like take a copay or whatever like your deductible is. So I mean, that's really mm-hmm. cool. But a lot of times we don't get much
2: of that. Here, yeah, there's unfortunately, man. There's unfortunately, uh... you, you you got some good, you got some good. Of course, like you got a lot of some good stories coming out. But unfortunately, when it when it's society that's based on um, capitalism. Everything yeah. is a business. Yep. You know what I mean? Now people lives are at stake. Don't worry about how they're gonna pay. Like treat the people. Everything is not a business all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? Unfortunately, that's how most western countries are ruling but just by money. You know what yeah. I mean? It's sad, bro. And you know what's like so interesting,
1: even from a business model to me? Like, if you're, let's say, even being selfish, it doesn't make much sense. Because if we're thinking about it in the short term, like, you're better off losing some money and treating these people. Because in the long term, they're going to be clients for the rest of your life and patients for the really? rest of they your life. Never yeah, That's they'll true. never forget it. That's true. So, like, I'm like, what are you guys thinking? Even from a short term perspective, like, it doesn't make <laughs> much sense. Like, you guys are killing your business like this. Because, like, you know how they say, um, what, what is like that famous saying? It's not that, like, oh, it's not that trials or like Tragedies create characters, they reveal it. So, you know, like if these situations, right, are revealing people's characters, people aren't going to want to do
2: business with you anymore. Yeah, is that true? You yeah. are probably, you're probably right. You could do one good and gain a, a customer for life. Yeah. And that's the model of entrepreneurship. That's how, for example, I run my coffee shop the same way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I told my workers if somebody come in, if they don't like anything of the drink, give it to them for free, make another one if they want this. They don't have money to pay, give it to them. Because <laughs> most likely, if you, You do your best. You try to serve a good coffee, of course. You you try to serve good pastries. They will come back. But don't turn no, my goal is try not to turn no one away. You know what I mean? I remember when I first opened my coffee shop, the first two days, a group of Saudi ladies came in. Like older ladies. They could have been old enough to be my mother. You know? (laughs) And they saying all the desserts and stuff was kind of expensive, they were saying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you should try this and try that. They was like, well, I will if you give me a 50% discount. Like joker. (laughs) I uh-huh. said, no problem. Give a 50% discount. They were shocked. Yeah. Like, really? Serious? I said, yeah. They came back the next day and the, and the, the, the day after. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I made that money back, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: I love that. Uh-huh.
2: customers, man. <laughs> <laughs> Most
1: definitely. I, I'm actually
0: going to write that one down for later. That's a really good tip. I, didn't, I, didn't, yeah. I, I know, like, sometimes you let it go, but I didn't think to do, like, things like that. That's yeah. smart. Yeah,
2: true yeah. man. You gotta be like, you know what? Just do it. And, and you get you know, America, we probably the number one with that type of stuff. To be honest, like customer service, a lot what we learn from America coming here implemented in a country like this, it actually stands out. Yeah, you know what I mean? Customer service, for example, Smoky Beers, my partners and us, they from Dallas, Texas, some from Saudi. They had, a, they had a program, they had a, they had it set up with a protocol that when every time someone walk in the door, they speak to them, how are you doing? They go to the tables and say, are you guys okay? Um, as normal as it sounds, because you guys are American. For us as American, this is the norm for us pretty much. Like if you go to a Starbucks or go to these coffee shops in America and you don't like it, they automatically make you a new one. But it's not like that all over the world. You'd be surprised how customer service is not really like that all over the world. And maybe here I try to tell people because You know, these countries, for example, a place like Saudi Arabia, most of the workers are foreign workers. Now Saudis are starting to work in coffee shops and things like that. But these foreign workers, they have a set budget. You know what I mean? They have a set budget salary, I mean, where their salary might be, for example, equivalent to, let's just say, a $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Most of the money they send back to their country, which is a lot of money. So if you have a person that's working for these many hours, their salary is the same. They don't have tips. They're not getting anything. They're not really going to put extra work. They're not going to really go all the way out for your business. Yeah. Because they look at it like, man, I'm tired. What am, I, what am I gaining? And you find that. You can go into some of these shops and you will see these workers. They're from foreign countries. Mm-hmm. And they whole attitude stinks. They won't even smile at you. Yeah. They not, and they're looking at it like, well, I don't care. My salary coming anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you set something up where you make incentives for your workers, where you say if you sell this amount of cups of coffee, you put a tip a, a, a jar for tips inside the shop, then now they're going to start you see them smiling and you see them you know what i mean going a little bit of extra that extra mile because they know the more that they put in the more they get out you know yeah. what i mean and this is very important man that nobody really gonna help build your business and make you millions of dollars if they not really benefiting from it the way they the way. no one gonna run your business like you that's why even for me i was at my coffee shop every single day i was closing mm-hmm. you know what i mean because at the end of the day no one gonna do it the way you're gonna do it. you feel me
0: Yeah, yeah. And no (laughs) one's going to be watching things like how you are and noticing certain things and trying to make sure Sure. that it's being done right. Right. Like, yeah, like people smiling or
2: smiling. Like if I wouldn't have said to that lady, okay, take 50 percent, she probably would have walked out, probably wouldn't have purchased a coffee. The Mm -hmm. workers is not they responsibility and they're not in a position where they could have said, yeah, take 50%. Right. They probably were like, oh, no, we can't right. give it to you. Go. But when you're there in your shop and you got hands on, you can do things. You can say, you know what, even if I lose this amount of money this month, I'll take it out of my salary, give back. But at the end of the day, the business got to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to work. You have to be ran properly and so we had a writer on last week his
1: name is john Kagg. and so the thing that he was telling us which i really like because it's like this idea from what's called cognitive behavioral therapy is it's like Mm -hmm. it's called acting as if so the way he kind of talked about it was he said that like look man you know when i was like struggling with depression you know i would kind of have i'd be slumped over right i'd be looking at the ground right and sort of the feedback Mm -hmm. loop that i received right meaning like the sort of response that i received from people or from the world around me was really negative Mm -hmm. so if i put negativity out right i got negativity back so his mom when he was a kid, was like, look, man. She's like, I know you hate it. I know all of this shit sucks. I get it. It makes sense. Can you just pretend you like it? Just pretend. Just pretend for me and see what happens. He's like, okay, fine. I'll do it. So he kind (laughs) of goes out right when he's a kid and he's like in the playground and he's pretending like he actually likes the kids and he's pretending like he wants to be friends with them. And so what happens is like they kind of go into that and they kind of the feedback loop changes. And so what happens is it goes from this vicious cycle and this negative one to a positive one. And so what he talked about, yeah, man. And so what he talked about was like acting as if he's like, look, man, if you kind of put positive. Positivity out there, and you at least sort of pretend like you're feeling good. What happens is the world gives you a response back that actually causes you to feel good, and that kind of reinforces that yes. same behavior. So I think that's a lot. I, think, I agree. Yeah, with man. You. yeah, man. I think a
2: lot of people could learn that from a business standpoint too. Of course, man. Yeah, you get what you put out there. That's that's. I look at it like that's very simple, man. Yeah. You put out negativity, it will come back to you. You know what I mean? And it's kind of sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and is that was that like kind of one of the major lessons that you imparted in your book too? Exactly. You know what I mean? Because in my book, we talk about a lot of, like, the things that I was putting out there was coming back to me. My Mm -hmm. environment. You know what I mean? When you're in an environment and when everybody around you is negative and, you know, that's what you're going to get. When you put yourself in a place where you try your best, the utmost, to be positive as much as possible, you will, that energy will come back to you. Hands down. You know what I mean? And I feel that. Smile, smile, as they say, it takes more muscles to frown than to smile, as they say. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, it's really simple, you know what I mean? I try not to stress. I try not, you know what I mean? I really, I live my life now that they can tell me, like, tomorrow, you know what I mean? Your bank account is empty. You don't have nothing. All your bills must be paid tomorrow. I'm the type who'd be like, okay, no problem. God will make a way. I don't even stress. I yeah. sit back, figure out something, and that's how I live my life. And with me living my life this way, it always worked out for me. Yeah. Honestly, man, I really never like you know what I mean? And this is saying the Prophet Muhammad said that Allah says he's with a person the way the person think of him. Mm-hmm. If you think good of God, he would, like for example, you have no doubt that God has your back and you think good of God, he will have it. But if you have some doubts, oh God is not gonna help me and you think a negative, then most likely you're gonna get what you're gonna get what you put out there, you know what I mean? So when yeah. he said that God is with you the way you think of him, that's how I try to live my life and always think positive, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because it's smart, right? If if let's say um, that did happen, right? There's no money in the bank account the next day. If you did freak out, right? That would take away. How do I put this? Like the the resources you would put into that negativity into freaking out is resources mm-hmm. you could have put into figuring out, okay, I see what the situation is. All right, what do I do? Next, like, what's the next yeah. move instead of like losing your cool?
2: Yeah, yeah, you keep your yeah. cool and you take that energy and you, you be, you be, um, you know what I mean? You put it into something in a positive way, yeah, you yeah. use that energy to figure out how you want to get that money, you know what I mean? You be yeah. so you're right, you don't waste it on negativity and worrying and stressing, and then that's because that's not going to change anything, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, I always try to tell people, man, look, stressing and worrying really. It ain't gonna change nothing. You might as well keep calm and try to think, think your way out of it. Or pray your way up, pray until you get a solution. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't just pray and sit down and think that the sky is gonna open up and stuff. No, you pray and then you also do action.
0: You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. No, of course, because the prayer will uh cleanse you. And then sure. once you're once you're cleansed, you're then able to then whatever action you take next, it's it's coming from a place where you're is your vessel is uh empty of the negativity Mm -hmm. let's put it that way yes yes
2: definitely definitely
1: yeah. yeah, And one of like the dopest things that we took away from John Cagg last week, which is pretty much a message from the philosopher, William James. He said, look, you know, a lot of times when we look at faith, we look at it as being opposed to reason, right? And he says, look, you know, the thing is that faith is a lot of times needed because when you're feeling down and you're feeling depressed, right? You need to have faith and you need to have hope in yourself. You need to have hope that something is going to work out, right? Whether it's like a love interest or a business venture or that things are going to improve in your life. So in the beginning, you don't know, right? It's kind of like a 50-50 thing. Like, I mean, you maybe it'll work out maybe it won't but we can't predict the future so for him he says that look you have to actually through the act of free will right you have to actually tell yourself that no i have faith in this and my act of free will is to actually believe that things will work out and from that right you could kind of calm yourself down and give yourself or instill the necessary sort of energy and motivation to go forward and to kind of take those hits as rocky would say and kind of keep moving forward
2: yeah 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 good advice Definitely good advice. <laughs> yeah,
1: man. So, Definitely. and Muda, what was, what was, like, your favorite story to tell in the book? Like, what do you think was, like, the most important or man. something that you really wanted to show to
2: share with the world? I think, man, let me try to think, because we got so <laughs> many stories, brother. Like, I hear you. Like, there, there were stories that I forgot. Like, one yeah. thing about me, um, when Suleiman was contacting, like, whack dudes, um, um, Young Noble played a major part. He took a lot of time to explain a lot of stories. Yep. Um, Trey by Trey Lane. Um, Bone, no, he didn't speak to Bone, Steve Lobel, which is my, you guys, I'm sure you know Steve Lobel, he's our old manager, yep. and, um, and he's still a good friend of mine, so when he was able to get these stories from like Steve, and um, who else he spoke to, man, and, I, and and even Mikhail Kamil, you know, the guy that, um, the guy who, who helped me come back to Islam, you know, so there were so many stories that I was like, wow, I said that? I did that? Like, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? So it's Mm -hmm. so many, bro, that the the readers just gotta, they gotta go in at it. You know what I mean? They gotta really, I think think the book, I'm proud that the book came out the way it came out. You know what I mean? Like I said, when I first did the book about 10 years ago, I had another writer from LA, older brother who wrote it. Even when I first read it, I, I was like, what is that but you know I was like you know I didn't know him no better but when Suleiman put his work in you can tell that it came from a place of sincerity and genuine he was genuine with trying to get my story out there you know what I mean yeah. so there's so many stories bro that um man we definitely get you guys an early copy once everything gets situated so no, you guys man. can read it you know
1: what I mean <laughs> I
2: got you man and I got you I want to write a review for you for
1: the overall online network so I'm looking forward Appreciate to that you. one too we got it, man. Definitely. And just kinda of, and just like for our audience, man, because like so I kinda of t- I talked to someone <laughs> too. And so he's just a really dope dude,
2: man. Like just his passion yeah, for the work and
1: his passion for mental health is just it's infectious, definitely. man.
2: Definitely, man. Suleiman a, a genuine dude, you know what I mean? I know him probably for the last seven, eight years. You yeah. know what I mean? And he's just always been the same. Everybody speaks highly of him. He was the type of person the good thing about him, a lot of his props need to go to his moms. His moms remind me of a Fanny Shakur the way she was with Pop. Yeah. That, you know, the moms was there. The moms is what really pushed him. You know what I mean? His mother, even though he's from Brooklyn, from the hood, okay. he she made sure that he took education seriously and he went to some of the best universities and schools around the world. When he was like 18, 19 years old, he was working for Wall Street. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's going to go into details in this interview. i let her, I yeah. save it for him to save it, <laughs> to tell you guys. You know what <laughs> I mean?
1: That's really dope. But,
2: um, <laughs> like the way he did the book let me know, like, man, we ain't stopping after this. We plan to also do another one. Like now, my life now, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? People might want to know, okay, what are he doing now? We, we know everything he did in his past and everything up because the book end when it just say he moved to Saudi Arabia. Now we want to know what am I doing now, business-wise, my kids, my family, stuff like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. cool, man.
1: And so I guess my, yeah. uh, one of my final questions would be, so what do you want the sort of lasting legacies to be of Napoleon the musician and of Munabil the man? The Napoleon, the musician, and yeah. what else? and Muda Biel, the man. What do you want the legacies I, I, I to be? I would hope, things?
2: you know, the, the music would speak for itself. You know yeah. what I mean? That's something that I look at it like, we we rock with the best pop, you know what I mean? And he, he went down in history, and he dragged us right along with him, you know what yeah. I mean? So the music definitely would speak for itself. But there's also behind the music that a lot of people don't really know the characteristics of the, the musicians, you know what I mean? So I would hope people can realize that you know, never give up on anybody, you know what I mean? Look at it, people can change, yeah. you know what I mean? I was an individual that was calling, I probably was the first one calling to violence, but at the end, at least, I tried my best to make amends with my past and face it head on and show the world that it's possible for you, can, to, people can change, you know what I mean? Of course, I still have a long way to go, I still have many, many, many shortcomings, but at the end of the day, the people can say, well, he tried to live a positive life, God willing,
1: you know yeah. what I mean? And I, I, bet sure. it, I bet it started with a sense of hope that you could
2: change, that there was a part of you that could be different. For sure. For sure. Because yeah. I remember, man, when I was out on the block, just, just the opportunity to sometimes I look at my kid, like, for example, even my son, me, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of people tell me, well, your son is trying to do music. You don't agree with music. Why is you telling? I said, look, man, the way I raised my kids, one. they know nowhere the way I was raised. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Like, I can call his phone, and I know he's not He's not on the corner selling drugs like what I was doing. He's not in the gang, you know what I mean? He's a good kid. He's going to have to go through life and learn his lessons on his own. He's a, he's a nine, 20, 21-year-old man. I can only advise him, and he's going to have to make these decisions. But I'm thankful that my kids did not live the life that I live. I can look at him. I can look at my son, who was 14 years old, Muhammad, and I can say, these kids are pretty much innocent. They're they innocent to that life. They don't know that life. And I'm thankful for that alone. I feel like I accomplished and I succeeded. You know what I mean? That alone that my kids wasn't raised the way I was raised. Alhamdulillah, I'm thankful for that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, and
1: there's it's definitely, I'm, I'm assuming, a sense of pride there, man. Because a lot of people, definitely, they
2: don't really man. get that. Yeah, for yeah.
1: sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, Alan, final sort of questions, thoughts, comments? Oh, yeah.
0: Um, if you wanted to follow you on social media, uh, where could we find you?
2: You can find me, man. Of course, at IG it's probably ah. my favorite spot. Yep, it definitely <laughs> is. I see I you on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can find me on IG, Twitter, Mutai Napoleon. I got the YouTube page now, Mutai TV, uh, Facebook, Mutai, Napoleon Bill.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Cool. Uh, and so, when can we expect the book? Any sort of update on that? The book, we're in a talk. we in talks with someone now. Um, we hopefully to get, get get some good news soon. Okay. To see if we're gonna go with that company. Mm-hmm. Or we're gonna self-publish. So right now we hopefully we're working all that out right now. So all soon, right. God willing. All
1: right, that man. Thank you. thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you thank so much. It's it's,
2: right? it's it's just awesome knowing you, man. Thank you for being a part Pleasures of it. Anytime, bro. Anytime. All right. We'll man. do it again. We'll do it again. Absolutely, yeah. man. All <laughs> right. Be well, man. Be well. See you, all man. right. Peace. See you. <laughs>
0: All right. All right, guys. So, guys, if you want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and uh, Instagram and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Go like us now and also like and subscribe on YouTube.
1: Yep, and don't forget to hit the bell. And then, obviously, guys, you can follow us at the O4L Online Network, and we are under the "Seize the Mo- po- What Is It, Seize the Moment" podcast section. And then, obviously, we hope that you guys follow the guy who takes care of all of our artwork. His name is Vegas Media Designs. You can find him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Follow our guy Andy O4L at Andy O4L on Twitter at Andy O4L on Instagram. He's another one of our guys at the O4L Online Network. Really dope writer. And then, also, one last plug before we kind of go. And so. Are you stressed that you can't leave the house to keep up with routine, fighting with chronic conditions such as diabetes and hypertension, and having trouble coming up with healthy ways to feed the family, or simply need the support system set up to make your goals a reality? Vera with Verified Nutrition offers a free 15-minute consultation on her website at verifiednutrition.com. That's V-E-R-A-F-I-E-D-N-U-T-R. ITION.com. ncom And you can read more about her individual journey, experiences, send her a message, check out her blog page and the services she offers and make your choice to get verified.
0: And guys, thank you very much for watching. And next week, uh, look forward to the next episode. Uh, who do we have on? We have
1: Massimo Piliucci, who is the Stoic master
2: and philosopher, brilliant philosopher.
1: <laughs> All right, so look forward to that. And again, thanks for watching, guys.
2: See ya.